Welcome to the Semper Reformata podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. One of the things that I've been learning over the past year and a half that I've been studying the book of Acts, and I had preached on the book of Acts before in series and in single sermons when occasion required it, but I've concentrated on very little else but the book of Acts over the past year, year and a half. And um, one of the things that I've learned is that every verse in Acts is important. Every single verse, everything that happens is put there for a very specific reason. And of course, we have great highlights in the book. We have Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison, Paul's conversion, Stephen's martyrdom, Paul preaching um, in the Areopagus in Athens. Great highlights. And then we have passages that seem to be that little bit more mundane. This morning, I was reading from Acts chapter 20, which is basically just a passage that is basically just a list of ports that were visited on Paul's return from his third missionary journey. And yet every single verse is there for a reason. It's very important. And that's something we're going to see this evening. So we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to read from verse 7. So it's Acts chapter 18 and verse 7. And we hear the word of God. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul, and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. You see, the Bible is right up to date, isn't it? This man persuadeth people, persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Haven't we had a situation where the government, the law has said, do not worship God? So you see how up to date this is. 
I have been diverted. Verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of those things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren. Well, we'll pause there. So we're going to look at this passage last week. If you remember, we finished. We've been looking at, we've been doing an assessment of Paul's ministry, and we've been looking at uh, the way that he'd ministered, and we had reached down, I suppose, to um, verse 10, where we learned that the Lord had many people in the city of Corinth that Paul did not yet know about, and we remembered, reminded ourselves that God knows who are his and that he has his elect and that in his own time he will bring those people to faith in Christ. Paul's in Corinth still and the city of Corinth is a cesspit, a cesspit of sin. But there's a synagogue there And Paul has visited the synagogue and he has begun to teach and to preach in the synagogue and he gets some work. He doesn't depend on handouts. He works with two Christian Jews who become firm friends and supporters of his work. And eventually he moves to live in a house right beside the synagogue. And with Timothy and Silas, now having joined him, His mission is spiritually fruitful and many, many souls are saved in Corinth and they are added to the church. And thanks be to God in verse 8, it tells us that Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Isn't that good? The chief Jew in the whole of the city of Corinth comes to Christ and is wonderfully saved after the Jews have forbidden Paul to preach in the synagogue. Now what happens next teaches us a very, very simple lesson, but a very important lesson. And the lesson is this. God always keeps his promises. You can depend on the Lord. He will never let you down. His promises are unbreakable for they are founded in his nature his immutability he never changes God always keeps his promises and sometimes God keeps his promises through the most unexpected agencies 
And when God keeps his promises, he always does so to bring about his glory and his sovereign will on earth. So I've only got two points this evening. But I've got about 15 sub-points. My two points that I want you to see are God's promise of protection. And the second one is the precedent that produced. Because that's important. So I'm going to look at God's promise of protection. So turn to verse 12. And we read there, when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Now, that's interesting, because Paul has received a promise from God. A promise from God, away back in verse 9, Thus then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Here's what he said. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And then in verse 12, we learn that the Jews have made insurrection with one accord against Paul. Now, when Paul received that promise, that would have calmed his fears. Everywhere Paul has gone so far, as we've learned as we go through the book of Acts, Paul has been badly treated. This ill treatment in the main has come from the Jews. The people who rejected the Saviour in Pilate's judgment hall, the people who cried crucify him, are the people who still rejected the Son of God, the one who was sent into the world to be their Messiah. They are the ones who persecuted the church at Jerusalem. They are the ones who dogged the footsteps of Paul everywhere he went, even following him from town to town. And inevitably, this antagonism rises up into sheer anger and physical violence. And it was widespread. And it was lethal. And in Corinth, Paul has received a promise from God that no harm will befall him there. So the promise received and the promise believed. Paul believed the promises of God. And I'm going to suggest to you that when God promises something, you should believe it. Paul acted upon God's promise. He put it into practice. In verse 9, and we read, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. Verse 11, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul didn't let his fear blot out the promise of God. When he was given assurance of protection, he stayed. He rested on the promises of God. 
He remained in Corinth. He openly continued his evangelistic activities, knowing that he's sheltering under God's providential care. The promise received. The promise believed. The promise tested. Now we come to verse 12. And it starts when Callio was the deputy of Achaia. Well, the Jews, of course, have become incensed about Paul's preaching. And imagine how, how miffed they must have been when Crispus, the synagogue ruler, becomes a follower of Christ. Imagine how they must have stood and watched Crispus being baptized. Imagine how they would have heard the testimony of saving grace. And they would have seen him going into the water. And they would have seen one of the disciples going in with him. And they would have seen him being baptized. And pointing to the fact that Christ, in his baptism, pointing to the fact that Christ has washed away his sins as sure as the water washes the filth from our bodies. The sins that he has committed have been blotted out by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Baptism points to Jesus. And here's the ruler of the synagogue himself. And the Jews are watching and they're seeing this happening. And they decide they're going to do something about it. They have had enough, but there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. There's a new proconsul. When Gallo, Gallio, here it says, verse 12, when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia. Now that gives them their opportunity. Let me explain. Lucius Junius Gallio was the top Roman official in Greece at that time. Gallio had a privileged upbringing. He was the son of a university professor, a professor of rhetoric. He was actually an adopted child. He was the brother of the famous Stoic philosopher Seneca. All of them were high-born Romans. They were of Spanish ancestry and they had a tremendous reputation. Gallio himself, we are told in secular history, had a reputation as being a decent man, a fair man, an impartial man, a man who actually had a genuine love for other people. His brother Seneca wrote about Gallio. He said, no man was as sweet to one as Gallio was to all. And Gallio has just got a new job. He's just been made proconsul of the whole of Greece. It's an important position. He's been promoted. And it's a brand new job for him. And the Jews take advantage of that. Here's this new inexperienced man. He's just come from Rome. The likelihood is he doesn't know much about Christianity. This is the Jews' moment to try and trip Paul up. So we have the proconsul. 
And then we have the posse. The Jews with one accord rose up against him. Look what it says in God's word. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. With their usual antagonism to the gospel, with their hatred of the preaching of Christ, the the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, they organized themselves. They rose up against Paul. It was a planned, organized effort. And they brought him to the judgment seat. How did they do that? You just can't go around arresting people. Sure, you can't. But remember what we learned about the Jewish synagogues some time ago. The Jewish synagogues in that day were not just churches or religious communities like we understand our local assemblies to be. They were far more than that. These synagogues had influence over commerce in the town and trade in the town. These synagogues regulated the Jewish tradesmen and they would gather together into guilds like trade unions The tent makers would have been one such guild, and that's how Paul would have met Aquila and Priscilla. And they were tolerated by the Romans. The Romans were happy enough. These Jews were troublesome people, weren't they? And they were happy enough to leave them alone and let them discipline their own communities, let them keep their own people in line. The civil authorities are not going to be overwhelmed by petty religious disputes among the Jews. So the Jews in their synagogue with their synagogue police issued a warrant for Paul's arrest and they enacted it. And I wonder how Paul would have felt that day when the knock of the police came to his door with the arrest warrant because God has promised that no harm will befall him. We have the proconsul, the posse, and the prosecution, verse 13, saying this fellow, look at the, look at the derogatory language, oh, this fellow, who does he think he is? This fellow persuadeth men to worship God Contrary to the law. What law was Paul breaking? Was he breaking the Mishnah or the Talmud, the traditions of the Jews? Was he breaking the civil law of Rome, the Lex Romana? Was he breaking either or breaking both? Was it the law of the Jews? Paul had no time, of course, and Christianity in general had no time for that plethora of of minute laws that the Jews used to hedge around the law of God. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 15. He called the Pharisees who enforced these silly little regulations hypocrites. He said, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their heart, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Was that the law Paul was breaking? 
was a perfect storm brewing against Paul and the missions team. A rookie governor, a troublesome minority demanding justice, an ambiguous charge, he's broke some law not specified. And the danger that a judicial precedent will be set down that will further the Jewish agenda and hinder the spread of Christianity. Now, what happens next is actually worth underlining in your Bible. We have seen the promise received. We have seen the promise believed. We have seen the promise tested. And now we're going to see the promise kept in an amazing way. Let's see how God kept his promise. Look at verse 14. Remember, the charge has just been laid. This fellow, him there, he has broken the law by teaching people to worship God contrary to the law. Verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Paul hasn't even a chance to speak. Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong, or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. Gallio is a clever man. He may be new in the job and he may like people and he may be a decent guy but he's not stupid. He's not going to be taken in by the ambiguities used by the Jews to further their hatred of the gospel. He wasn't going to let himself be drawn into matters that are none of his business if it's a matter of civic law the Jews are complaining about. If Paul has has been a murderer or had been guilty of theft or some immoral offence, Gallio would have heard the case, despite the rudeness of the Jews dragging him before him. But Gallio saw right through their pretended offence, and he knew they had a different agenda. And he knew that Paul has not broken any Roman law, And he knew that the Jews are outraged that Paul has offended against their myriad of tiny man-made rules. And he dismissed their case. And he did it with some force. Verse 16. And he drove them from the judgment seat. See how God fulfills his promise of protection to Paul. The apostle is preserved from the Jews. He's given the permission of the highest official under Caesar to continue his evangelistic work. God in his absolute sovereignty has used an ungodly pagan to accomplish his will. And not for the first time either. And not for the last. 
The second thing I want you to see here, we've seen God's promise of protection. I want you to see the precedent that produced. Verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. Up till now, when we've been talking about these Jewish outbursts, we have noticed that Paul has had to prudently leave town for his own safety, for the safety of the people who were left behind in the churches, and for the gospel to be carried elsewhere. He's even had to be smuggled out of a town in a basket, let down the town wall. He's had to be taken by ship by night. But in Corinth, after being arrested by the synagogue council enforcers, having been forcibly dragged before the Roman authorities, Paul remains in Corinth for a good while. Why the difference? Well, let's go back a verse or two. Let's go back to verse 16. The Jews were knocked back, I suppose, would be one way of putting it. We previously learned, some months ago I suppose, that when a Roman governor sat on his judgment seat, he was accompanied by two officials, and they were called lictors. And they were two minor officials, and they carried rods. And they weren't just ceremonial rods. They were there for a purpose. And at this point, it seems that Gallio expected these lictors to do their stuff. And having announced that he's not going to take the case on board, he must have turned to the lictors and simply urged them forward. And the lictors, with their rods, forcibly drove the Jews. They took to beat them out of the temple. They drove them from the judgment seat. And there were Gentiles there too, because it was an open court, it was held in public, and in general it would be true that the local Greek population weren't terribly keen on Jews, even at the best of times. So there were some Greeks, verse 17. It says, all the Greeks, it means all the Greeks that are there in the, in the court. All the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. Those Greeks joined in, and they grabbed the new ruler of the synagogue. Remember, Crispus has become, a, has become a Christian. He's been converted, and he's no longer the ruler of the synagogue. So they've got a new ruler, a man called Sosthenes. And the Greeks join in, and they beat him up. And I'm often wondering, is this the very same Sosthenes that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1? Because when Paul writes to the church at Corinth sometime later, he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. I'm not suggesting beating people as a means of evangelism. But it must have worked. 
Looks like Sosthenes too may have become a Christian at some stage. There's an interesting wee coda here. At the end of verse 17 it says, And Gallio cared for none of these things. After telling us that the Greeks had beaten Sosthenes, Luke tells us that Gallio was simply indifferent, that he took no notice of his things, uh, of these things. Now, I've wondered about that. What was it he took no notice of? You see, I can't imagine um, a magistrate sitting in court taking no notice of a fight going on in the court. And if Gallio was as decent a human being as we are told, I can't see him tolerating that. I often had to go to Bangor Magistrates Court when I was in an earlier life, an earlier in my earlier days. I would have gone to Bangor Magistrates Court, and I, I know that old magistrate, the resident magistrate there, would have sat in the in the in the in the in the place where he sat up in the, the judgment seat there uh, on the bench, and he looked down. And I know fine rightly that if fighting had taken place in the court, he would have called upon one of the, or several of the police officers who were present to arrest the people who were fighting and bring them into custody and let them, let them cool down and charge them and bring them back before the bench. Uh, he wouldn't have sat on the bench and looked the other way, sure he wouldn't. He'd have asked the police to intervene. So what was it that Gallio took no notice of? If Gallio was indifferent to a crime being committed against a litigant by a group of civilians while the court was actually in session, that would actually be unjust under Roman law and custom. And it would be out of character for Gallio himself. So much out of character. And I think the reference is probably to his indifference for the Jewish regulations and laws rather than the row that's going on in the court. You can disagree with me. Matthew Henry disagrees with me. R.C. Sproul says what basically happened here is that the Roman proconsul gave Paul a safe conduct pass. Now, this is why this incident is so important. Why would this incident have encouraged Paul to remain in Corinth? living right next door to the synagogue, preaching and teaching Christian doctrine of free salvation and forgiveness and pardon in Christ alone, by faith alone, because Gallio was senior enough in the Roman hierarchy that whatever decision he made set an important legal precedent, a precedent that would not be challenged anywhere in the Roman Empire for the following 10 years. Now here's why this passage is important. And here's why it's in Acts. Because the decision that Gallio took that day, and he didn't know, I'm sure, that he was acting under the guidance of God. And being a pagan, he didn't know that he was fulfilling God's will. He didn't know that he was instrumental in bringing about the promises of God. His decision that day set a legal precedent in the Roman Empire that allowed the gospel 
10 years, a decade of unhindered evangelism. That 10 years, Paul used wisely to spread the gospel right throughout the Roman world. R.C. Sproul. What happened here is that the Roman proconsul gave Paul a safe conduct pass. The intervention of Gallio paved the way for Paul to be able to continue preaching and planting churches throughout various parts of the Roman Empire. With the intervention of Gallio, the words that had occurred to Paul in the vision were fulfilled, says Sproul. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. God kept his promise. God made a promise to to Paul. And despite the intentions of the Jews, the malicious intentions of the Jews, God not only kept his promise to Paul, but in the keeping of that promise, brought about the extension of his kingdom right throughout the Roman world. And maybe... He even brought to salvation the man who tried to persecute Paul that day. Time's up. What practical lessons can we learn from this very strange incident? You see, it would be easy for us just to read over this wee story in Acts and think nothing of it. And yet its importance, as I've tried to say to you this evening... The importance of this passage is highly significant. There's lessons to be learned. And the most important lesson, as I've already said, is that we should trust God implicitly. His word will not fail. Even if it seems that it is impossible... For the promise of God's word to be fulfilled, remember that God has ways of keeping his word that we could never even dream of. I asked a question earlier on. What would Paul think as the temple police knocked his door? What would he think as he was dragged in before the judgment seat of Gallio? What would he think as he was preparing to open his mouth and make his defence before the Roman authorities that day? Would he be anticipating another beating or a stoning or an imprisonment or even death? Or was he simply saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to intervene. And God did intervene. And he not only protected Paul through the agency of an ungodly man, but he used that man to bring about his kingdom purpose. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world 
through dust. Amen.